Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So how can we make this case? Well, one way we can do it is to point out to people that there's no essential difference between the embryos you once were and the adults you are today that would justify killing you at that earlier stage. Arguments cannot be religious or non-religious. Arguments can either be valid or invalid, or sound or unsound. The substance view is the idea that from when you come into existence of fertilization until you die naturally, you are the same individual at every point in your life. So if it is wrong to kill you now, it was wrong to kill you then. Welcome to another episode of the Pro-Life Thinking Podcast, a podcast where we look at the abortion issue and uh, talk about abortion and bioethics in a larger context in a way that's winsome, reasonable, and persuasive. I'm Clinton Wilcox, your host. And today, as you notice, it's just me. <laughs> I'm flying solo today. Uh, you know, Nathan is in the military and he uh, ended up being called away to, uh, I forget what he was doing. He uh, was called for, for some reason regarding the, uh, the election results and things like that. So it's just me for today. So what I thought I would do is, first of all, read a few more uh, rating comments that we got on iTunes, because uh, as, I, as I've mentioned for the past few episodes, we've actually been vote-bombed by pro-choice people who have clearly not listened to the podcast and have been rating it poorly. And a few, a few people have come on and given us some good ratings to help combat that. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, after that, I wanted to look at some of the religious arguments that, that were used by one of the pro-choice commenters to argue against the sanctity of life from the perspective of the Bible. So I'll do that in ju just a moment. So now to, to look at some of the comments that we received, Chuck Phillips said, first rate, give us five, five stars. Thank you for that, Chuck. Appreciate that. He says, Clinton is boss when it comes to logic and his vast knowledge on the topic. The bad reviews are 100% trolls that couldn't argue their way out of a garbage bag. This is a topic that can be discussed with grace and rationality, but those who are unable to engage intelligently will, of course, find that their only responses are limited to monosyllabic ad hominem. Thank you, Chuck. I appreciate the kind words. Uh, next, we have this guy. <laughs> that's uh, that's what what he, what he gave his uh, his name as. This guy it says very well reasoned. It's sad to see the comments on here. Clearly, people who have no capacity to spend more than thirty seconds following an argument. What's funny though is that anyone who is objective and is capable of thinking logically will see these ridiculous negative comments and will recognize how unhinged and illogical these radical pro-abortionists truly are. They are only hurting their own cult, which is great news for unborn persons everywhere. Appreciate that, this guy. And then Wayland, who I believe is, is somebody that I know, says, don't believe the F, and it, it cuts it off, and I, I can't find a way to uh, see the rest of, of the title. But anyway, she says, all of the negative reviews are from people who have not actually listened to the podcast. They are leaving fake reviews because they can't deal with people dismantling their absurd beliefs. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, and then there's a user, 556622, who says uh, women deserve rights over their bodies. 
but also gave me five, gave us five stars. <laughs> so that that's a bit of a of a conundrum there. But at any rate, I appreciate the positive reviews. And if you're listening to this and you wouldn't mind uh, giving us some positive feedback, especially with the star ratings because of these uh, vote bombs from pro-choice people who've clearly never listened to the podcast. We, we would greatly appreciate that. And of course, we never want you to say anything that you didn't actually believe. But, you know, Nathan and I believe that the information that we present here with this podcast is beneficial and helps a lot of pro-life people. If we didn't believe that, we wouldn't be doing this. And so feel free to, to go and do that. All right. Switching gears a little bit. We received... A comment which just says awful, gave us one star by Mr. Cower. And he started off his comment by saying 10 biblical episodes and prophecies provide an unequivocal expression of God's attitude toward human life, especially the ontological status of unborn children and their pregnant mothers to be. And then he gave some brief summaries of these 10. Now, Nathan and I actually did address two of these on a previous podcast. So for those two, which was the passage in Exodus about a pregnant woman who's injured and the fetus ends up miscarrying. And then the last one, which is that Jesus did not express any special concern for unborn children during the anticipated end times. Nathan and I responded to those on a podcast a couple of episodes back. So you can go back and check those out. So I'm going to go ahead and respond to the other eight accounts that Mr. Cower gave. And now I do intend to read the passages that he gave, but instead of just picking up a Bible, and reading through the passages that way, I figured what I would do is I would go ahead and share the screen, and then I would use a Bible uh, website for that. And I've got Bible Gateway fired up here so that I can actually show the passages in question and read them. And that way, anyone watching the video portion can see what the passages actually say. And now the thing is about these passages is I'm guessing that Mr. Cower never has never actually read the Bible for himself. He's probably just found these on some internet infidels website and is just assuming that these are true. But the problem is, if you actually go back to the text and look them up for yourself, you'll realize that most of these are just not saying what Mr. Cower says that they're saying. So we're going to look at those and show that. And uh, for the rest of these, we'll, we'll talk about what the passage actually says. Now, obviously, I'm going to be just looking at these biblical arguments. So if you're not religious, this episode may not be one that you may be particularly interested in listening to. But if you are interested in how a Christian would respond to some of these issues, feel free to stick around and listen. And if you are watching live, I'll be more than happy to take comments, you know, and we can go from there. Now, the first thing that we have to do is we have to understand that there are rules for biblical interpretation, or what, what they call exegesis, where we want to draw out the meaning of the passage and not read our preconceived notions into the passage. A couple of those distinctions that we have to keep in mind is, number one, we have to make a distinction between what the Bible records and what the Bible condones. Just because the Bible records something doesn't mean the Bible actually condones it. The Bible actually records a lot of immoral behavior, but it clearly doesn't condone it. For example, it records the, the first murder ever committed by Cain to his brother Abel. But when we actually look through the Levitical laws, we see that murder is actually condemned in Scripture. So just because the Bible records it doesn't mean it condones it. The other distinction we need to keep in mind is what the Bible describes versus what the Bible prescribes. Just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean that the Bible is actually prescribing it as actions that Christians ought to do. So just because it's recorded in Scripture doesn't mean that it's something that Christians are then obligated or in any way should be doing that thing. 
And so those are just a couple of basic things, which they, they would be ways to properly interpret any ancient text, but especially when it comes to something like the Bible, which is a book, well, a book of history and theology, but also gives Christians some a method for, for living their lives among people, especially among other non-believers and even among other believers. We have to make sure that we're properly interpreting what the text says. Okay, so like I said, we already covered two of these. So I'm going to start with, uh, we're going to just look at the other eight that this person gives. So the first one here is in the book of Numbers, chapter 5. And he says, The gruesome priestly purity test to which a wife accused of adultery must submit will cause her to abort the fetus if she is guilty, indicating that the fetus does not possess a right to life. And the passage he gives is Numbers 5, 11 through 31. So let's go ahead and read this here. Numbers 5, 11 through 31. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, quote, If any man's wife goes astray and is unfaithful to him, and a man has sexual relations with her, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and she remains undiscovered, although she has defiled herself, and there is no witness against her, and she has not been caught in the act, if an attitude of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous of his wife when she has defiled herself, or if an attitude of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous of his wife when she has not defiled herself, the man shall then bring his wife to the priest, and shall bring as an offering for her a tenth of an ephah of barley meal, he shall not pour oil on it nor put frankincense on it because it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of reminder, a reminder of wrongdoing. End quote. Then the priest shall bring her forward and have her stand before the Lord, and the priest shall take holy water in an earthenware container, and he shall take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it on the water. The priest shall then have the woman stand before the Lord and let down the hair of the woman's head and place the grain offering of reminder in her hands, that is, the grain offering of jealousy, and in the hand of the priest is to be the water of bitterness that brings a curse. And the priest shall have her take an oath and shall say to the woman, quote, If no man has had sexual relations with you, and if you have not gone astray into uncleanness, as you are under the authority of your husband, be immune to this water of bitterness that brings a curse. If, however, you have gone astray, though under the authority of your husband, and if you have defiled yourself, and a man other than your husband has had sexual intercourse with you, end quote, then the priest shall have the woman swear with the oath of the curse, and the priest shall say to the woman, quote, May the Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people by the Lord's making your thigh shriveled and your belly swollen, and this water that brings a curse shall go into your stomach to make your belly swell up and your thigh shrivel, end quote. And the woman shall say, quote, Amen, Amen, end quote. The priest shall then write these curses on a scroll, and he shall wash them off into the water of bitterness. Then he shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that brings a curse, so that the water which brings a curse will go into her and cause bitterness. And the priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand, and he shall wave the grain offering before the Lord and bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the grain offering as its reminder offering and offer it up in smoke on the altar. And afterward, he shall make the woman drink the water. When he has made her drink the water, then it will come about, if she has defiled herself and has been unfaithful to her husband, that the water which brings a curse will go into her and cause bitterness, and her belly will swell up and her thigh will shrivel, and the woman will become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, she will be immune and conceive children." This is the law of jealousy. When a wife who is under the authority of her husband goes astray and defiles herself, or when an attitude of jealousy comes over a man and he is jealous of his wife, he shall then have the woman stand before the Lord, and the priest shall apply all of this law to her. The man, moreover, will be free of guilt, but that woman shall bear the consequences of her guilt. Okay, 
So this is a fairly lengthy passage, and there, there's a lot we could unpack here. Now, I, I'm not a theologian, so I'm not going to give probably the most deepest expoundings of of the texts that I'm going to be reading here. So there are a number of commentaries that you could read on these texts. Uh, I could even recommend some. Uh, you know, I, I like the Matthew Henry commentary, but I'm just really going to be looking at these texts from the surface of the text and not really go deep like a theologian would, because even just uh, on the surface of these texts, we can see that these texts are not really saying what Mr. Cower and others, I, I've heard this argument from other people, what it says that they are saying. So here we have an account of if a woman is caught or if she's even suspected of adultery, she can be brought before the priest and the priest can give her a concoction to drink made of water mixed with mixed with uh, wormwood, was it, I think? Uh, and then he proclaims a, a curse. It, if she is guilty of adultery, she drinks the concoction. And then if she's actually guilty, her womb essentially will shrivel up and she'll be barren the rest of her life. If she's not guilty, then nothing will happen and she'll be able to continue conceiving children. The, the really bizarre thing here is that this clearly is not an act of abortion. Now, it's true, if she is pregnant at the time her womb shrivels up, that she will end up miscarrying. But what's in view here is not an abortion. It's not really the death of the child. It's the fact that she'll become barren as a consequence of her adultery. Now, whether or not you think that's that's permissible, uh, that, that's another matter entirely. I'm just talking about what the text actually teaches here. In fact, uh, I've heard uh, some theologians talk about how considering how the ancient Jews thought about children and, and about the ability to procreate, that the, the ability to procreate was seen as a blessing, that children were seen were seen as a you know a fruit of the womb, that they were a gift from God. Barrenness was essentially seen as a curse. So if a woman was really guilty of adultery, she would refuse to drink the concoction and her guilt would be manifest by her refusal to drink the concoction. If a woman was truly innocent, she would drink the concoction, nothing would happen to her, and they could go on. So this is not really an account of a priest giving an abortion, but this is more just trying to to weed out the guilty from the innocent regarding adultery. A woman is guilty would refuse to drink it. A woman who is innocent would drink it without any without any compunction because she would know that she's innocent. And so that's all this is about. To say that this is a case of a priest giving an abortion is really uh, not what the passage is about at all. And even if it was, again, we have to keep in mind the distinction that, what it, that just because the Bible records something doesn't mean that it condones it. And just because the Bible... Uh, describes it doesn't mean that it prescribes it. This was a, was a specific case given to the ancient Jews by God himself. So just because a woman could miscarry because of this specific test, that doesn't then justify Christians going in for abortions or Christians doing abortions because we have not been given that responsibility. And in fact, because God is the giver of life, he's the only one with the authority to take life. That's not our authority. We haven't been given that authority by God. The Jewish priests were in this specific case. So even if this were a case of abortion, this would not be a case that would justify abortions currently. So that was uh, number three of 10. Now we have another case here from Deuteronomy. I'll go ahead and look that up. So here, Mr. Cower says, God enumerated his punishments for disobedience, including, quote, cursed shall be the fruit of your womb, end quote, and, quote, you will eat the fruit of your womb, end quote, directly contradicting sanctity of life claims. And he gives Deuteronomy 28, 18, and 53 as the passages. So let's let's read these. Deuteronomy tw uh, 28, 18 says, Cursed will be the children of your womb, the produce of your ground, the newborn of your herd, and the offspring of your flock. 
And then verse 53 says, Then you will eat the offspring of your own body, the flesh of your sons and of your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you during the siege and the hardship by which your enemy will oppress you. So those essentially state that the fruit of the womb is going to be cursed and they're going to eat the fruit of the womb. This, first of all, doesn't contradict sanctity of life claims, because if God is, because again, these are pronouncements by God, meaning that human life is still sacred, but God, again, is the only one who has the authority to proclaim any sort of, you know, any sort of proclamations about human life, because he's the giver of life. And so if he takes life, that's his prerogative. It's his right to do so, because he's the giver of life. We don't have that same right. And so life should be seen as sacred from a human perspective, because we can only procreate. We're not actually the givers of life, and so we don't have any authority over it. But here's the interesting thing of this passage in Deuteronomy 28, is that if you look back here on verse 15, it says here, quote, but it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to be careful to follow all of his commandments and his statutes when I am, which I am commanding you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you, end quote. So here we're actually reading that these things are curses for those who do not obey the Lord. Now, again, we have to remember that the ancient Jews were a theocracy. And so uh, even today, among Christians, whereas we live in the United States of America, we don't live in ancient Judaism, or we don't even live in modern day Israel, that we're, we're not a theocracy, even here in the United States. And so we don't have the same, the same consequences for disobedience that the ancient Jews did, who were directly led by God. So if someone does not obey God and follow all of his commandments and statutes, these curses don't necessarily come about because these were pronounced over the ancient Jews. They were not pronounced over modern day United States. But at any rate, here he's talking about how these things are actually curses. And so cursed will be the children of your womb, the, pro the produce of your ground. So this is clearly not a good thing. That This was basically just stating all of the curses that will come upon the Jews if they don't follow God's commandments and do not obey God. So, you know, cursed will you be in the city and cursed will you be in the country. Cursed will be your basket and your kneading bowl, etc., etc. So all of these curses were just being pronounced upon the Jews who don't obey God uh, because of how directly involved God was in the ancient Jews. So this doesn't say anything about the sanctity of life, and it certainly doesn't argue against uh, the sanctity of life. Okay, so number four is a passage from 2 Kings 8, verse 12. Okay, so here he says, Elisha's prophecy for soon-to-be king Hazael said he would attack the Israelites, burn their cities, crush the heads of their babies, and rip open their pregnant women. So 2 Kings 8.12 says, And Hazael said, quote, Why is my Lord weeping? End quote. And he answered, quote, Because I know the evil that you will do to the sons of Israel. You will set their fortified cities on fire. You will kill their young men with the sword. Their little ones you will smash to pieces, and you will rip up their pregnant women. End quote. Now, again, just like the very last one that I touched upon a couple episodes ago, where he says that Jesus did not express any special concern for the unborn children in the end times, this verse actually speaks against what Mr. Cower is trying to argue here. Because as we see, Elisha, who is a prophet of the Lord, is prophesying that Hazael, who is a king of Israel, is going to do great evil to the people of Israel. He's going to set their fortified cities on fire. He's going to kill their young men with the sword. He's going to smash to pieces the little one and rip open the pregnant women. 
Elisha is weeping here because he knows that Hazael is going to do these things, and these things are evil. They're so evil that, that it's bringing Elisha to tears because he knows what's going to happen. So contrary to proving to this account proving that life is not sacred, this actually argues against it because life was so sacred to Elisha that it, it actually brought him to tears. Next is just a few verses later in 2 Kings 15, verse 16. Mr. Cower says, King Menahem of Israel destroyed Tifsa, also called Tapua, and the surrounding towns, killing all residents and ripping open pregnant women with a sword. So 2 Kings 15, 16, I'll go ahead and highlight it, says here, Then Menahem attacked Tifsa and all who were in it, and its borders from Terza, because they did not open up to him. So he attacked it and ripped up all its women who were pregnant. First of all, what we read here is, again, an example of the Bible recording something which it clearly doesn't condone. We just read how, by Mr. Cower's own verse that he pointed to, we read that a prophet of the Lord, Elisha, wept over the fact that Hazael was going to rip open pregnant women. And here we read that Menahem is going to do the same. But here it's just recording it. It's certainly not condoning it. And we already know that the prophet of the Lord wept over this kind of thing. So clearly this is not to speak against the sanctity of life. But in, in fact, it's just recording something that happened. And in this case, we if we go back to verse 8, I won't necessarily read it, but we do read that Menahem is a king of the Jews. And so the fact that a king of the Jews would do something like this was evil. And we, we certainly know that just because they're Jews and the Jews are God's chosen people, that doesn't mean that, that, that everything the Jews ever did was right. In fact, the Jews often did wrong things and faced punishments for it. And so here, Menahem is doing something that is clearly evil that we sh that we read in other places, especially like the past, like the verse that uh, Mr. Coward just showed, Second Kings eight twelve, that what is being recorded is clearly not condoned by Scripture. So it does not argue against, in any sense, the sanctity of life. Okay, so next we have a passage out of Isaiah chapter thirteen, verse eighteen. Yeah, so here we have a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. Now, Mr. Cower says, Isaiah prophesied doom for Babylon, including the murder of unborn children. Quote, they will have no pity on the fruit of the womb, end quote. So here we read, uh, in fact, there's a heading here, Babylon will fall to the Medes. Uh, and it says, quote, and their bows will mow down the young men. They will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb, nor will their eye pity children, end quote. So again, uh, this is just the Bible recording something, not the Bible condoning it. Here, Isaiah, in fact, this hasn't even happened. This is a prophecy from Isaiah that this is going to happen in the future, that Babylon will fall to the Medes. Isaiah here is just going into more detail, that the Medes are going to mow down the young men of Babylon. They're not even going to have compassion on the unborn children, nor will their I pity children. So again, this is just the Bible recording that the Medes are going to uh, to take over Babylon and that they're not going to have compassion on even the children of the Babylonians. This uh, has nothing whatsoever to do with the sanctity of life. It's just recording how the Medes are going to treat the Babylonians. Uh, then we have out of Jeremiah 44, verses 7 through 8. So now this is another prophet, Jeremiah. Mr. Cower says, for worshiping idols, God declared that not one of his people would live, not a man, woman, or child, not even babies in, uh, not even babies in arms, again confuting assertions about the sanctity of life. 
So here, Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 44, 7 through 8 says, Now then, this is what the Lord God of armies, the God of Israel, says, quote, Why are you doing great harm to yourselves to eliminate from yourselves man and woman, child and infant from among Judah, leaving yourselves without a remnant, provoking me to anger with the works of your hands, burning sacrifices to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you are entering to reside, so that you may be eliminated and become a curse and a disgrace among all the nations of the earth, end quote. So here, again, contrary to what Mr. Cower is saying, Jeremiah here is actually saying that what the Jews are doing is actually doing great harm to themselves. So contrary to this passage speaking against the sanctity of, of human life, it actually confirms and endorses it. Because it says here that what the Jews are doing is bringing great harm to themselves, eliminating from themselves man and woman, child and infant from among Judah, leaving themselves without a remnant. Uh, so not only are they leaving themselves without a remnant, but they're also provoking God to anger by the works of their hands. So these things the Jews are doing is are actually provoking God to anger because they're doing things that not only did God never command, but are actually contrary to the goodness of God. Okay, so we have just a couple more here, uh, both of them coming out of Hosea. We have Hosea chapter 9, verses 10 through 16. This is about the punishment of Ephraim. Here's what Hosea 9, 10 through 16 says. Or actually, let, let's read his, his blurb here. So God will punish the Israelites by destroying their unborn children who will die at birth or perish in the womb or never even be conceived. Okay, so here we have Hosea 9, 10 through 16. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your forefathers as the earliest fruit on the fig tree in its first season, but they came to Baal Peor and devoted themselves to shame, and they became as detestable as that which they loved. As for Ephraim, their glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, and no conception. Though they bring up their children, yet I will bereave them of their children until not a person is left. Yes, woe to them indeed when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I have seen, is, is planted in a pasture like Tyre, but Ephraim is going to bring out his children for slaughter. Give to them, Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dried up breasts. All their evil is at Gilgal. Indeed, I came to hate them there. Because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebels. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They will produce no fruit. Even though they give birth to children, I will put to death the precious ones of their womb. End quote. Okay, so again, here God is proclaiming curses upon uh, upon the people of Israel, specifically Ephraim. Now again, this is God speaking, and God has uh, unique authority over human life because he's the giver of human life. So he has the ultimate authority here. Just because God proclaims these curses and saying that God will cause the unborn children to miscarry doesn't then justify us now going in for abortions. We don't have that kind of authority. So this isn't saying that life is sacred, uh, just the opposite. God knows what miscar what their children miscarrying will mean to the Jews. Not only do the Jews love children, uh, seeing these children as a gift from God, as the fruit of the womb, but it also uh, get, you know gives them a remnant, as we saw spoken about earlier. It allows the Jewish people to continue on. It allows them to not only continue each individual's name, which was, of course, very important to the ancient Jews, but it also allows the Jewish culture to continue on. So these things are all very important to the Jews. And so these things God is going to do as punishment. But as I've already mentioned before in a, in a prior episode, the uh, God causing an unborn child to miscarry is not necessarily a wrong to that child, him or herself, because you know, if my view of this is correct, and, you know, Scripture is not clear enough about this to make a dogmatic statement about it, but if my view of 
children dying before the age of reason is correct, which is, you know, not my view. It's held by a number of Christian thinkers throughout time. But if God causes these young children to miscarry in the womb, well, they basically go right to heaven. And so now, of course, the, the fact that children who die early go to heaven does not in any way justify abortion. Uh, and that, that's a different discussion for a different day. But God miscarrying these children in the womb is not a wrong to the children because they're able to go right into the presence of the Lord. So again, this is not an argument against the sanctity of human life. It's merely showing that God is going to cause certain curses over Israel because of their sin. And the last one is still out of Hosea, but chapter 13, verse 16. And so here we're still proclaiming judgment on Ephraim because of his idolatry. Verse 16, Samaria will pay the penalty for her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword, their children will be slaughtered, and their pregnant women will be ripped open. And so here... Mr. Cower says, for rebelling against God, Samaria's people will be killed, their babies will be dashed to death against the ground, and their pregnant women will be ripped open with a sword. And so this is just more curses from God. And so what everything that I just said about God's cursing before applies here. But also, this is not necessarily God saying that he's going to do it himself. It says here that because Samaria has rebelled against God, they will pay the penalty for their guilt. They'll fi- fall by the sword, their children will be slaughtered, and their pregnant women ripped open, which is just saying that some other group of people are going to come in and do these things. In fact, we, we've already read a few accounts that Mr. Cower pointed out that Hazael and King Menahem ripped open the womb. And these things are, are detestable to God, as we've read, and they, they caused the prophets of God such grief that it caused them, that it brought them to tears. So we read these things that these are not things that God likes, but these are things that will happen to Israel because of their sin. Specifically here that's being mentioned is the sin of idolatry. So I hope it's become obvious now that these verses that Mr. Cower showed in this specific rating shows that he likely has not even read these passages for himself, but got them off of some internet infidels website or something. And so none of these passages he brought up shows in any way that life is not sacred or that God does not consider life sacred or that we shouldn't consider life sacred. Just the opposite. We see that life is is very important to God and that the very thought of kings and other people ripping open pregnant women to kill the, the fruit of the womb, killing children, all these things are not only grieve God, but grieve God's prophets. So that's uh, pretty much all that I have for today. I don't ordinarily talk about religious arguments because for the most part, I like to keep this podcast on a more non-religious plane so that non-Christians and, and people who aren't religious can, can find benefit from listening to this podcast. But for today, I figured it would be appropriate because of that comment. So I'd like to thank you for listening. And if you appreciated the content here in this, uh, this episode, I would just ask that you share it around social media on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you frequent. If you're able to give financially to this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that too. As Greg Cunningham of Center for Bioethical Reform says, there are more people working full-time to kill unborn babies than there are people working full-time to save them. So my work as a a pro-life advocate is supported by financial supporters. And like we've shown in the past, that helps me with costs associated with uh, hosting the podcast, with keeping up with with the abortion literature and the academic arena, uh, among other things. So if you're able to, please uh, feel free to go to the Life Training Institute website, www.prolifetraining.com, and you can click on Donate on the menu on the top. Just remember to put my name in the notes section so that Life Training Institute knows to put your donation into my account. And donations given through Life Training Institute are also tax deductible.
Once again, I would like to thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.